Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain, where each episode we'll sit down with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry veterans to discuss innovation, technology, and the most exciting opportunities in trucking and logistics as we build the future of supply chain together. Be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Now, let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar, and joining me today is Alden Woodrow, co-founder and CEO of Ike. Welcome, Alden. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on here, and um, I'm going to uh, give a special shout out to Chung uh, at Basiset who uh, connected us and, and made this happen. Um, one of our, one of our investors and one of our one of our favorites. They are always on the lookout for um, making connections like this. So excited to have <laughs> to talk more about the company. Indeed, indeed, and uh, really, I just kind of want to start with like, what's the Alden Woodrow story? Uh, how, how did you get into the world of self driving trucks and supply chain? Yeah, so I've been working now on trucks for several years, um, which you know in Silicon Valley is a long time, and in the freight industry is not very long at all, uh, but. My uh, my origin story is really I uh, spent the last decade or so as a product manager working on new technologies in energy and aerospace originally, and then kind of fell in love with trucking and transportation when I joined Uber. So I, I uh, joined the company in late 2016, uh, joined ATG specifically, uh, which is the, the automation group within Uber to work on trucks. And as part of that process, started to learn more about trucking uh, and about freight and logistics and just really fell in love with the industry. And the same is true of my co-founders who also were there at Uber. Uh, And we all just kind of saw eye to eye about um, uh, sort of a different philosophy around how to build a product in this space and also saw eye to eye about our appreciation for uh, the importance of freight in our economy and our way of life and really built a passion for the industry that we're kind of continuing on that journey now today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people uh, in our audience uh, likely know Ike, um, but would love to kind of get the skinny on, you know, kind of where, where are you guys at on, on this path to developing uh, autonomous trucks? Yeah. So in terms of background, as I mentioned, um, my co-founders and I, so Nancy Sun and your Vandenberg and I started Ike in 2018 we had worked together at Uber on trucks. And that's where we met. That's where we, as I said, fell in love with the industry and where we really started to realize that we shared uh, a lot of uh, hard-earned experience from different places, but, but a kind of a philosophy about how to build a real product in automation. And of course, uh, there's a lot of excitement about, uh, about automation, about self-driving cars over the last decade or so. But really, the the uh, reality has not held up to the hype, right? And so, in 2016, when we first first met and first started working together, we started to develop this what I would call a much more pragmatic view on how to build a, a valuable commercial product in this space, one that moved away from um, you know building a magic robot that can do everything, which of course is super exciting, and and focusing really on something that can be. Uh, focused and really constrained, but still be super valuable. And I can maybe tell you more about that. But um, we worked together uh, with a with a great team, a small group within ATG. It became clear after a while that uh, that Uber was not the right place to build a truck product for for very good reasons. The company was really focused on cars, 
And so a number of us decided to leave in 2018, but we still wanted to work together and we still wanted to work on trucks. And we kind of looked around at the landscape, um, saw what was going on and felt like we had an opportunity to do things differently uh, and apply a bunch of that hard-earned experience to build a safe and reliable and commercially valuable automated trucking product. So uh, my, my co-founders and I all come from kind of different experiences. They worked at, at, at Waymo and Apple and built electric motorcycles and worked in academia. Uh, I worked at Google prior to Uber and worked on some interesting new technologies. And so we were able to kind of come together um, and set this very different path compared to kind of what we see, what we saw at the time happening in the space and, and actually what we see happening still. Uh, and, and then we were really fortunate to be able to attract a lot of great people, many of whom we'd worked with before uh, at a number of different companies and efforts. Uh, we have folks on the team who've worked together at five companies. Uh, and so uh, we were able to draw in a number of really talented folks and that kind of got us going. And we're on a very long journey here. We've got a lot more work to do. I'll tell you more about some of our progress, I think during this conversation. Uh, but uh, but we we have this vision for how tr how automated trucks can help uh, improve the industry in a bunch of ways, and we're not there yet. But we made some really good progress over the last few years. And you know, uh, kind of taking a step back and and taking a temperature on the industry, like where are we in 2020 uh, as we think about you know autonomous long haul trucking. Yeah. So, you know, as I said, I think there's been a lot of excitement and enthusiasm for the opportunity with this technology. You know, if you think about kind of the first wave of automation for vehicles, it was really focused on passenger cars uh, in the 2000s, right? Google led the way on that effort and a number of other companies kind of started up really focusing on the opportunity to build robot cars. I think we're part of this second or maybe even third wave now where we took a step back from that after many of us had some experience with how hard it is to automate passenger cars driving around in cities in these really complex environments, and especially with people in the mix, right, which, which adds a whole user experience complexity uh, and a number of other factors. And so I, I think collectively, a, there are a number of people kind of said at the same time, wow, trucking would actually be a really interesting application uh, of this technology. And, and uh, my co-founders and I were sort of part of one of those groups thinking about that opportunity. So that was now several years back. I think the third wave part of this is we've started to realize how hard even this challenge is, right? Even though we are in a number of ways constraining uh, the, the kind of product challenge, right? We're building technology that is going to automate trucks only on the highway. So not drive on surface streets or in industrial yards. We think that makes our, our task massively simpler, but it's still really difficult. And so where I'd say we're at today as an industry is, you know, some good progress has been made. Certainly, there's a lot of excitement and noise still about uh, the opportunity here in the space, but there's huge, huge amounts of work to do in terms of the hardware that's needed to, to actually have these vehicles operate safely on the roadways, the software to control them in effective ways, the regulatory frameworks and environment that need to, to evolve. And and also some of the commercial partnerships and uh, and the evolution of the approach to business, which I think we'll talk more about. Now, again, we've made at Ike a bunch of progress on all those things, but we started the company with this very long-term view on, you know, this is a multi-year effort. And in fact, mm -hmm. uh, I think you'll appreciate this as an investor. We we walked into a bunch of 
uh, partner meetings when we were raising capital in 2018. And we showed a roadmap that I think most VCs are not used to seeing, right? It had, it had a number of years on it. And what we said was, if you want us to launch a product uh, in this space in the next eight, 18 months, you should not invest in our company because um, we are taking a very long-term approach here. And we're doing a lot of things that are going to um, get sort of tangible results and, and clear uh, value in several years rather than in several weeks or several months. Uh, and we think that's what it's going to take to actually get to the finish line and beyond here, uh, because there's, as I said, you know, a tremendous amount of work to do on a number of fronts to actually kind of fulfill the promise of this technology, which we, we of course, think is is just massive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be curious, like, do you view uh, over the road, like, as your sole focus? Or do you think, like, in the medium long run, you, you would ever kind of get into other parts or, or other opportunities of the kind of logistics transportation um, opportunity? Yeah, I think there's there's a huge number of opportunities uh, and, and we're certainly excited about how we could apply our expertise and our technology to solve problems uh, in the industry. Uh, our view is that, and again, I think you can accuse us of being maybe a little too pragmatic or too focused relative to most startups, um, we think it's going to be incredibly valuable and incredibly big of an opportunity to automate highway goods movement, right? 70% of the miles that trucks drive every year on highways, it's 170 billion miles a year. That is a multi-hundred billion dollar market opportunity. And so, you know, while I think uh, 50 years from now, our truck's going to be driving around all over the place and our robot's going to be doing all sorts of things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's already happening in a number of places, right? Uh, but we think trucks on highways is kind of the big um, market opportunity and the big scalability opportunity uh, in terms of building something with a pretty constrained scope that can actually um, scale up in a way that kind of looks like software. So we're pretty focused on that. And you know, when we're a, when we're a big successful company someday in the future, I'm sure we'll have other ambitions. But for now, we think the task ahead of us is uh, is plenty big. And you know, I, I remember reading uh, in the early days when you announced uh, your round. Uh, there was a, a mention on how you had hard forked uh, Neuro's core technology. And I'd be curious, like, wh- where's that gone? Is that a point of differentiation today uh, that you've been able to lean on as a technology business? Yeah, that's it's a great point. That was a really unusual choice, I think. It's, it's something that hasn't really happened in our space to this point. And we're really proud of that and proud of our our relationship and friendship with the neuro team. So th- I can tell you a little bit about the background and kind of the purpose there. Um, my co-founder had a had a strong relationship with the, the founders of neuro going going back to academia to many many years ago when they worked together uh, on various projects. And um, as we were thinking about starting Ike, what we realized was there was this really interesting opportunity to um, to give neuro a chance to apply this really really strong automation stack that they had built uh, to a new application, right? They're focused on delivery robots. Your audience is probably familiar with Neuro. Great company. They've made a lot of progress. They build these little toasters that drive around on city streets and deliver groceries and, and, and pizza and other things. So they're really focused in that area, but they built this incredibly strong infrastructure and this great stack uh, that we thought was quite powerful. So there was an opportunity to take what they built and apply it to trucks and to do that in a way that would give us a huge head start 
and kind of skip over a lot of the stuff you have to do in the early stages, uh, you know, various infrastructure and data logging and, and all sorts of other things that take time and effort and capital um, to build. So the opportunity for us was to get this, uh, this kind of unique technology advantage, this, this tailwind and this big leap ahead. The opportunity for them was to be able to have kind of a separate um, lottery ticket of sorts where they could just you know, fork their technology into something else. And when, when we're super successful, they'll see some benefit from that. So uh, it was a really interesting overlap. It was really focused on, I think, mutual respect and trust. The neuro uh, founders and the neuro team are just of the highest integrity uh, and obviously very smart folks and, and saw the opportunity. And we found a way to kind of make the pie bigger together. Um, so they are a minority shareholder in Ike as a company. Uh, and we have a copy of everything that that Neuro had built through September of 2018. And this was right before they raised almost a billion dollars from SoftBank, which was, of course, a nice validation of the, the strength of their technology. So we do see that as a big advantage. We've changed the, the tech stack in a number of ways. We've built a whole bunch of new things that are more focused on trucks, uh, but it gave us this kind of head start that we thought would be really valuable. And looking back on that, uh, we would 100% do that do that deal again because it allowed us to kind of um, it, it allowed us to kind of skip over a lot of the things that I think typical AV startups have to do in order to attract investors to kind of demonstrate progress all those things and it really allowed us to do what we wanted to do which was focus on the long term and really build the things that ultimately are going to matter for a commercial product. Yeah, and you know, I, I'd be curious to like uh, get your take. Um, and and we were investors in in an early um, attempt at, at solving this problem in, in Starsky, so can appreciate how difficult it is. But kind of yeah. how do you like to um, kind of think about what you're building at Ike and the approach and the differentiation relative to you know your your host of of competitors, perhaps is, is how most others would think about it. Yeah. The the uh, kind of embarks of the world, two symbols. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, there's a, a number of places where I think we we want to do things differently. Again, from what we've kind of seen out there, it's a little hard to read between the lines on you know what's really going on in our space. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of you know kind of cool PR, but but um, uh, but but it's hard to know kind of what's really happening. And so we really try to just focus on what we think is the right path. And there's a few places where we're doing things that I think appear at least to be quite different. The first is technically, and the second is commercially. So from a technical standpoint, um, one of the things we decided to do early on was to take a, an aerospace type approach to the development of our system, a, a systems engineering based approach. So three of our first 10 hires at Ike were systems engineers, which is pretty unusual, right? And what systems engineers do for us is they set requirements. They, they tell the rest of our engineering team what we need to be able to build to be successful. And they help us then test against those requirements and make sure that our system is working properly. And that's something that in our previous experience was generally pretty lacking, right? You had um, what I tend to call sort of like the dating app style uh, approach to development where you're just sort of building stuff and you've got smart people and they're going and trying to figure it all out. What we wanted to do up front was build a more clear roadmap and kind of empower our hardware and software teams to understand what they needed to build and what, what it would look like when they were successful. And so that's what we've spent a, a big part of the last two years doing is setting requirements, 
building the infrastructure and the workflows that allow us to test against those requirements, and then doing some development. And that's a, a pretty unusual approach because what it means is that we can't make a cool time-lapse video. Uh, I mean, yeah. I guess we could, but but um, we haven't really focused on features. We've really focused on building this, uh, this machine that allows us to actually demonstrate that our system is working at a high level of performance. And so, you know, one specific example here is up until very recently, we had not engaged our automation system on public roads, uh, not even not even a single time, right? We'd focused entirely on offline testing, so simulation in the cloud, and on private track testing, because we think that's actually a really effective way of making progress and doing it in a way where we can control the risk exposure. And so uh, that's two years of effort to get to the point where we have such a high performance system, uh, a system that's now passing hundreds of requirements that we've set, uh, that allow us to take the step of beginning some limited public road testing. And that is valuable in some ways, but really we think a lot of the effort um, should be and can be in, in offline testing and in private track testing, right? And so, um, so we've made a lot of progress there and I think we're really happy with that decision, even though it's, it's involved a lot of what I call the invisible work, right? There's a lot of stuff that's really hard to explain to the outside world why it's so valuable and powerful. And I think we'll see those results in the future because uh, we feel a lot of confidence about that approach. And then uh, on, on, the, on the second uh, piece on the commercial side, I think we can maybe dig into this a bit more, but we also wanted to take this different, um, uh, this different philosophy of rather than trying to do everything ourselves, rather than trying to become a logistics business, we feel like there's an opportunity to basically power existing logistics businesses. So from a business model standpoint, we are putting technology in the hands of existing fleets. We're uh, giving them the, the automation technology and selling them a subscription, essentially a SaaS uh, type product that allows them to use automated trucks in their fleet along with the rest of their products and services. And that's something that I think has, um, has been pretty attractive to a number of companies that we're now starting to work with. We obviously uh, made an announcement about this uh, pretty recently. And uh, what we feel like that allows us to do as a company is to focus on the technology, focus on the things that we're going to be good at, right? Systems engineering, computer vision, validation, and let our partners focus on being really good logistics businesses and, and helping make them better with this technology that we think is going to be pretty valuable. And, you know, a, a lot of what you're talking about, uh, a lot of the tooling process infrastructure, like in my head, like the word that's showing up in big letters is safety. And uh, a, a big thing that we've all had to grapple with is that uh, th there's a lack of like federal, I'm not going to say there's a lack of federal guidance, but there's a lack of like real certainty and frameworks around how uh, AVs will be deemed safe or unsafe. And I know that's especially important because as you look to enable your customers um, when you tend to say over the road trucking, you're usually moving over state lines. I'd be curious, like how have you navigated this intransparency or this uncertainty around regulation? Yeah, it's a great question. I, we, we spend a lot of time engaging there. I think this is a place where, you know, previous experience working on new technologies in other industries is really valuable because I think there's a very consistent experience there. And that is that, um, you know, uh, regulators and and law enforcement and other representatives uh, from the, the public sector 
take their jobs really seriously, right? They have a responsibility to make sure that new technologies like ours can operate safely in the world and can do them according to the rules and regulations that have been established by, you know, in over-the-road trucking by, by FMCSA uh, and by, by other, uh, other regulatory authorities. And so they are, I think, enthusiastic about what we're doing and they want to see it succeed, but they also uh, understandably want to make sure that we do it in the right way. And so the approach that we take there is to go in uh, at a number of different levels, right, federal, state, and local, and talking with uh, police officers and and um, NGOs and and even you know union representatives, and talk to them about what we're doing. Talk to them about what we're doing to walk the walk on safety. How we think the technology we're building can actually help create better livelihoods for truck drivers. Uh, a number of those different things. And also explain to them that we expect that we're going to need to uh, to you know prove it to them. We don't expect them to take our word for it. At this point, we have work to do to actually demonstrate how we can do this safely uh, and how we can do it effectively and how we can build a, a real commercial product. So we do things like release the safety report that we've that we've put out publicly, including a version that we just updated that goes into a tremendous amount of detail about the approach we take to development and how we try to minimize the risk of our testing and our deployment. We do things like put um, on our website uh, an inventory of all of our vehicles, a map of our operations, and a summary of our DOT safety and compliance scores, right? So that anybody can go look on our website uh, on the safety page and get a sense for what we're doing and where we're doing it and at what scale. We think that's information that the public has a right to know. And really, that's just about helping uh, all of those stakeholders understand that we're committed to trying to do this in a safe way. And I think that helps. But um, with respect to the actual regulatory frameworks, I think our view is that everything is proceeding along uh, pretty much as it should, right? There's, there's no real rush to get federal or state rules in place today because the technology isn't ready. And so there's certainly ways that we can work effectively with a bunch of those organizations. And we talk to them all the time. But what we say when we talk to them is we want to invest the time and effort to work together to get the frameworks in place that are going to work well for everybody, right? And because the technology still has a few years of, uh, of investment required to, to really get to that point, we're here to work with you over that time and make sure that we create something together. So in the meantime, in California um, and here in the US, I think there are a number of ways that we're enabled to do the testing we think is necessary. And when the time comes to kind of take the next step of having trucks without drivers in them, uh, we're pretty confident that the frameworks are going to be in place to do that so long as we can do our part to demonstrate that the technology is ready and uh, th that we've put the right pieces in place to to make sure that it can be safe. And, you know, uh, hand in hand with safety, uh, we, we have safety drivers uh, in order to take control of a vehicle as well as monitor a vehicle uh, in the inning we're in around building up to a truly autonomous solution. I'd, I'd be curious, like, when do you see safety drivers being pulled from cabs? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, we, we obviously have our internal roadmap um, and we have some targets we're working towards that we don't talk about publicly. I would say, I think um, as important of a question as that is, um, what really matters ultimately is when is this technology uh, creating value? When is it actually 
saving lives and uh, increasing the productivity of our transportation system, right? Like that's what success starts to look like. And taking the driver out of a truck is just really a step along the way, the same as uh, the first time you put a sensor on a truck or the first time you engage the system on public roads, that'll be a step along the way. Uh, but it's it's actually really just like the 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 beginning of of, the, of that part of the journey, right? And so I, the short answer is that's several years away. But I think the point that we're oriented towards, which is you know when is this technology uh, widely available? When is it, it is it accomplishing the things that we envision uh, in terms of the effect that it can have on on road safety, on uh, on the productivity of transportation? you know, on the effects, the positive effects we think this can have for truck drivers, keeping them closer to home. That's what really matters. And that's, that's even further away. But, mm. um, you know, we think it's worth making that investment of time and effort over the years to come to make that happen, because it could be really powerful. And around kind of the uh, safety reports, I know, uh, the the one thing that people uh, always jest about is that uh, they they tend to be around disengagements in California. And I'd be curious to hear kind of how, how do you think about and, and guide the reader around uh, what a disengagement is and what it is not? Um, because that definition disengagement uh, could be wildly different across the yeah. board from company to company. Yeah, it's a great question. So we actually don't track uh, disengagements. Um, I think, you know, it, within the industry, it's sort of become conventional wisdom of sorts that, that uh, you know, things like MPI miles per intervention are, are actually not a great metric mm-hmm. for measuring progress, right? As you know. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the places where, you know, we talk with, uh, with regulators in, in the state of California about how we might upgrade some of the reporting requirements for trucking uh, in, in the rulemaking process that's forthcoming uh, from them to align incentives for safety a bit better and maybe measure progress in ways that are a little bit more meaningful and kind of more consistent across companies. So we're going to talk more about this in the future, but the way I, w- I would sort of tie it back to the systems engineering approach that that uh, that we take here, which is that we think about requirement failures rather than about disengagements, right? In other words, you can, um, you can fail a requirement in our system without a disengagement happening. Um, and, and that is still something that we need to fix. And you can also have a requirement failure that results in the driver needing to take over. But what really matters is from a performance standpoint, are we meeting the requirements that we've set for the system? Because it, over the very long term, we need to have a, a system that meets the, re- the requirements that we've set you know, many, many, many orders of magnitude uh, over in terms of performance. And so we're building towards that. We're seeing some great results here in the, in, in the kind of middle phase. Um, and, and that's where we think it makes sense to sort of measure. But that's, that's pretty hard because um, you have to actually build a lot of the infrastructure and a lot of the, uh, the fundamental requirements that we've set in order to be able to measure those things effectively. And so I think we're going to move in that direction as an industry uh, I think more and more people are talking about this approach as uh, a, a way of kind of measuring progress and a way of fundamentally architecting your system. And so I'm hopeful that we can have, you know, kind of a more sophisticated conversation about this sort of stuff and help educate regulators about how that is a way that we can, you know, sort of compare uh, performance and and help the public understand what's happening in ways that are going to be um, a little bit easier to understand and a little bit more consistent with 
you know, what's really required from a technical standpoint. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that approach. So kind of shifting gears here, you you recently came out uh, with news that you're working with Ryder, NFI, DHL. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this comes back to what I mentioned about um, our commercial approach. You know, again, we we want to be a technology business. And so from the very start of the company, we said, let's take a business model uh, and a go-to-market strategy that is focused on building uh, a SaaS product rather than a logistics business. And, um, you know, Starsky did some super interesting things, of course. You mentioned you're an investor in them. They took, I think, kind of the opposite approach. And I understand the argument for that, which is, you know, we're going to go do it ourselves. We're going to understand trucking very deeply and kind of build this capability. We think there's a, a kind of almost the opposite approach uh, as an intriguing opportunity, which is to really focus on the technology side and essentially plug into uh, existing networks. So, so the the fleets that you mentioned, Rider, NFI, DHL, those are um, some of the fleets that we're working with as part of this customer program we developed collectively. Uh, the customers that we've signed have reserved the first thousand trucks that are powered by our technology. What that means is they are going to buy trucks equipped with Ike's automation system from our OEM partner, who also happens to be you know, one of their OEM providers. And then they're going to enable this automation capability by paying us an annual subscription fee. And um, that we think aligns incentives really nicely to put the technology in these fleets' hands. And, and that, as you know, is something that uh, these fleets and others are pretty familiar with, right? They're adopting all sorts of new technologies all the time. There's nothing particularly special about this other than we think the, you know, the opportunity, the sort of the, the value that can get created here. And so we're just sort of following in the, in the footsteps in some ways of telematic systems and ELDs and a number of other types of technologies, electrification, warehouse automation uh, that some of these supply chain businesses have been exploring and adopting for years. So we're really excited about this. We've actually been working with several of these fleets now for uh, quite some time. A few of these agreements were signed last year. Um, and what's really cool about this beyond kind of the, you know, the, the adoption piece, you know, the, the thousand trucks that are going to get um, put into these companies' fleets over time is what's happening right now, which is that we get to work with these incredibly sophisticated and large-scale logistics businesses to make sure that we're building the right product, right? So I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a product manager um, historically, and I get really excited about the user of the technology and understanding them and helping build something uh, that's actually useful. And so what we're doing now is collaborating really closely, getting a lot of feedback, testing a bunch of things together, and basically making use of this incredible expertise that these fleets have uh, and and hard-earned experience of their own that we think would be pretty hard for us to get uh, by building up our own fleet. And so uh, this has worked out great. I think we'll have more to, to share in the in the relatively near future about some of the progress we're making there, including I think some of the other fleets we're working with, but it was a nice moment um, just recently to be able to start talking about this. And uh, you know, obviously I think the, the fleets we're working with are excited about the technology and about the opportunity and about the, about the approach that we're taking. And uh, so kind of shifting gears here, uh, thing about company building, uh, I'd be curious, you know, your IP partnership with Neuro, you mentioned like it's a bit unusual, but I'd be curious, like, how did you approach that decision um, to to enter that partnership, to leverage some of that existing technology to build on top of? Yeah, it really started from some 
kind of casual conversations, right? As I mentioned, my co-founder um, had a really strong relationship with the neurofounders, and you know there were I think a number of different paths we we might have taken um, as we started to explore the opportunity. It all sort of eventually came around to us aligning on this idea that. Um, we wanted to control our own destiny. We wanted to kind of head off in our own direction and be really focused. We have a huge amount of respect for the neuro team, but they also didn't want to get distracted by trying to build a second product in-house, right? And so all the pieces just kind of lined up in a way that worked out quite fortuitously. We also spent some time at Neuro, um, you know, in their building, uh, our engineering team doing a lot of pretty deep diligence on their system. Right, we didn't want to license technology that wasn't going to work uh, or wasn't actually going to help us, and so, so your and uh, several of our early engineering leaders spent several months actually digging around in the code base, talking with Neuro's team, uh, exploring a bunch of things, uh, and ultimately coming to the conclusion that this was the best automation stack in the world uh, because of the investments they'd made. And so, the opportunity for us to get our hands on that and start to apply it to trucking um, was super, super appealing. Um, and worth us essentially, you know, giving giving Neuro some some equity in the company, uh, and and making sure that they had an ownership stake as well. So, uh, you know, I don't I don't think we went into the conversation thinking this is exactly how it was going to work, but we just sort of found our way there over time by working together and by thinking about you know what we wanted to do as a company and kind of what our very long term goals were, right? Which were to again kind of skip over the typical playbook uh, that you that you often have to pursue. Um, and have this really valuable asset that we could then build on top of. Yep, yep. Uh, I think that's that's super intriguing, and it's it's not common, uh, as you said. So it's great to hear kind of how how you practically went through to to make that decision. But kind of shifting gears to customers again, um, you know, how how have you seen customers uh, evaluate, make decisions around autonomous solutions, whether it, it's Ike or your time at ATG or, or otherwise? Yeah, you know, I, it's it's. Um, I think it's hard to have those conversations uh, in a lot of in a lot of the the space here because. Um, the technology is still in development, right? And so most companies, if you look at, you know, Ryder, NFI, DHL, the, the fleets that we've announced that we're working with, they want to have conversations with companies that are ready to sell them something, right? Uh, that's, pr- that's pretty typical. And so it's a little unusual to go in and say, hey, we want to talk to you about something that's going to be uh, available to you in several years. And in fact, when we set out on uh, on the, the sort of early stages of, of this strategy and, and starting to talk with fleets, it wasn't clear at all to me that any fleet was going to be interested in talking to us about this stuff, right? I could imagine them saying, yeah, this all is very exciting, but we've got a real business to run here and you know we've got lots of things we need to deal with. So come back and talk to us in a few years when you're, when you're further along. Uh, but what we were able to do was say, look, um, there are some things you're going to need to do in order to be ready to adopt this technology. And uh, we can help you prepare for that, right? And so that's kind of how we bridge that gap. I think for a lot of other parts of, of the technology space, particularly in you know passenger car automation and other things, it's pretty hard to bridge that gap, right? Because it's still R&D. It's still uh, kind of a vision for the future, not something that you can actually use today. And so I think in terms of um, getting customers on board to take this really seriously, you, you do need to figure out how to paint that picture for them and also make it worth their while today 
even if you don't have a product that's exactly ready to sell at this moment, right? Yeah. Um, and that was valuable learning for us. I mean, you know, not everybody we talked to uh, was was interested. I was kind of surprised at the at actually how how uh, how much enthusiasm we got. But there were some fleets that said, you know, we this is a tough business. We're really focused on our priorities for this quarter, right? We've got to we've got to retain our drivers. We've got to keep our service levels up, and so we're not really ready to think about this. And I think that's totally understandable. So we're we're happy that we were able to find our way to some fleets that have the bandwidth, have the sophistication uh, and the experience that allows them to be thinking about the future, um, even though it's just a few years away and really starting to make the, the investments and the effort that's necessary to be ready to adopt this technology and create some competitive advantage um, when it's time for us to, to get out on the road. Yeah. And, you know, uh, would love to kind of wrap up here. And uh, I'd be curious, as somebody who's building an AV business, uh, is there a contrarian perspective that, that you have, um, an opinion or, or insight that might fly in the face of conventional perspectives? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we probably have, a, I probably have a, a fair number of those. I'd say probably a bunch <laughs> of the things that we that we talked about today uh, probably qualify. I sort of highlighted some of those. I think um, maybe the one I would I would highlight since we've talked about safety quite a bit is that you know our view is that that um, uh, you know driving trucks around on public roads is not nearly as valuable or as meaningful as I think most people um, assume or most people believe. Right? I think investors understandably are really oriented around that as a milestone, right? We got a lot of questions early on about like, when are you going to be on the road, right? When can I take a ride in the truck and those sorts of things? And there is value in that. There's value in demonstrating, um, you know, some progress. There's value in having your system tie back to the real world and interact with, you know, real road actors. One of the things we believe from the start, and, and I think we've built more conviction on this over the last two years is that it's actually possible to have a pretty high leverage approach to developing this technology. In other words, really focusing heavily on simulation, really focusing heavily on track testing where you can control the environment and still do some creative things to test your system very consistently in a way that's you know full stack. And that um, while you do need to do some public road testing uh, and that scale needs to grow a bit over time as you get closer to launch, that that actually can be a very small part of your overall development and validation strategy. And so the more important thing about that is that it, um, you know, in our view, it just really limits your exposure, right? We, we want to take as little risk as possible uh, as we're building this technology because that's, that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, so making that choice, even though it's pretty bold to put out a, you know, a safety report a year and a half into the company's existence and say, we have not yet engaged our system on public roads. And it's pretty bold to then update that safety report a year later and say, we still haven't done it. Um, you know, we feel that that's the right approach. And we feel uh, really good about the fact that as our system is starting to share the roadway with our neighbors and our community here in the Bay Area and ultimately in other places, that we can feel really good about the performance that our system is at and the work that we've done to try to minimize the risk of something going wrong because that is the worst possible outcome. And, and we think every day about how to, to minimize that risk as much as possible. So yep. my hope is that, that that will continue to be, uh, or that, that that sort of sentiment will grow over time. I think there are other companies that, that believe similar things and, and our shared 
bond there is uh, is that hard-earned experience, right? Having done this a few times now in a few different contexts uh, gives us the confidence to say, this is, how, this is how you do this right, and this is how you ultimately build something that can be safe and reliable. Alden, it's been great to have you on here. We've covered a lot of ground uh, and really look forward to seeing uh, what you and the team at Ike are doing as you're solving this uh, important and, and difficult problem. Cheers. Thanks so much, Santosh. It was great talking to you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.